Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Time for us to speak to our good friend Tom Gorski, executive editor of Black Locks Reporter at Minding Ottawa on Twitter. You have a lot on uh, the Emergencies Act. I'm surprised. <laughs> There's no end to it, really. There's well. no end to it. By the way, may I start? May I start with something that's totally irrelevant, means nothing to anybody. And that is, I sometimes get asked, "What do you people talk about when you're not on the air?" So I was, <laughs> I was, I was plumbing the depths of our intellectual discourse that takes place on both sides of the glass. Um, Tom McKay, Matt Taylor, and I, we have these brilliant discussions about, well, today it was, did you, <laughs> did you ever wear mismatched shoes to work? So while the country's talking about the Emergencies Act, Tom, we're off the air talking about mismatched shoes to work. And I said, yeah, I wore a pair of uh, one brown shoe and one black shoe to work years ago, and nobody noticed. It went undiscovered the entire day. So that's the uh, discourse. Are you impressed, Tom? You're uh, climbing a, a ladder, though, of profundity that I can only dream of. <laughs> we talk about the weather. so and, yeah. and also, I'm from Manitoba. So we are economical with our language. So you would say, pretty cold today. <laughs> and your coworker would say, it is cold. And that would pretty much be it for the rest of the morning. Right, so... Well, it's like male discourse. Men, when we talk to each other, right? One guy calls another guy. Here's how it goes. Hi, how are you? Good. You? Good. <laughs> Want to play golf? Yep. It, it's yeah. completely gratuitous to discuss feelings. Like, I, I, I'm with you 100%. But when we get out on the golf course, every shot needs to be described in minute detail to the person who'd rather just have that good you conversation anyway i don't know why i threw that in there maybe just as a little comic relief so uh mr korski what is it about this um this commission this investigation this inquiry into the invocation the invoking of the uh of the emergencies act by mr trudeau which particularly strikes a chord with you a couple of things one is in my opinion i was here at the time, uh, Roy, if that was justification for the Emergencies Act, in my opinion, to my two cents, Roy, anything is. This was a, a local disruption. This was not a national crisis. Cabinet has not come anywhere near justifying its claim that there was a national emergency. You cannot find a constitutional lawyer who will support the Department of Justice's claim. But there was something else. In, in the short-term political uh, you know, realm, you're going to have a sitting prime minister questioned under oath, under threat of perjury, by counsel for the protesters. That's history. 
That's a moment. That's a keeper. That's very far-reaching. There's something else, though, uh, Roy. There was a quality to the Freedom Convoy that was striking at the time. It is more striking with the passage of time. There was something about the convoy. These were protesters, typically young people under 40, white industrial class, young guys in bald caps with beards. And there was something about them. They, they were not accepted at face value. And we had, for instance, uh, a senator from Alberta, Paula Simons, who started a, a Twitter thread about it reminded her of the boys who bullied her in high school. Or uh, to this day, you have witnesses testifying at the commission. They used the language, forgive me, of Holocaust survivors. I was traumatized. I was terrorized. Some sort of psychic scarring about white working class young men that uh, colored everything about the convoy. Because if you didn't feel that, it doesn't make any sense. It's gross overreaction. You know, Roy, I had a friend from back home with this overwrought media coverage. Uh, you know, did you know the CBC sent out a directive to their newsroom in Ottawa? No one leaves the building without a security guard on assignment. Can you believe that? I had a friend call and say, what is going on in Ottawa? I said, you will see nothing at the convoy that you don't see bond spieling. That means a little bit of drinking, maybe a little bit of bylaw infractions. That was it. There was something about that convoy, though, Roy. It got under the skin of uh, officialdom in Ottawa like nobody's business. So I remember, I'm old enough to remember the War Measures Act. And uh, I was in, what was I, how old was I? I was in my late teens, early 20s. When the War Measures Act was brought forward by Pierre Trudeau. And I remember the circumstances. I was in Montreal at the time. That's where I spent most of my growing up years. And I remember the, uh, the violence that led up to it. The bombing campaigns by the FLQ that went on for a considerable period of time. Our high school used to be evacuated on a regular basis because of bomb threats. I walked past a mailbox, Tom, on the way to school one day that Sergeant Major Walter Leja, I'll never forget his oh, name, wow. right? Yes. Bomb disposal yeah. expert. He was taking that uh, bomb apart in that mailbox when it blew up. And um, there was also Pierre Laporte, who at the time was the Quebec labor minister, and he was abducted along with, uh, I think it was Philip Cross, the British consul, uh, Cross was released. Pierre Laporte was found dead in the trunk of a car. And the FLQ's intent was very clear. And I was, I was on the street to Montreal when the army arrived, when, when civil liberties were suspended under the War Measures Act. I, I, saw, I heard a broadcaster who was carrying on about how unfair and how unjust and how inappropriate the War Measures Act was. Well, that was not allowed. That kind of broadcasting was prohibited by the War Measures Act because you were now challenging their government after they had unleashed that version of the nuclear option. And it was, it was a very disturbing time. But I might be able to make an argument that it was necessary because I was there in the surroundings. To somebody else 100 or 1,000 miles away in Canada, it might not have made sense. But I just came away from this one, Tom, and I thought about this earlier today. These people who invoked the War Measures Act, and by that I mean the folks in the cabinet, and they maybe had the best of intent, I don't know. 
but they don't really know what the war measure or the uh, what the Emergencies Act means. They don't know the significance of it. That's the only thing I hope that they don't understand or didn't understand the significance of the parliamentary nuclear option, which says if you've exhausted every other option, every other choice, this is where you go, but you don't go there before you've exhausted every other option. End of my speech. Right. I, I think cabinet is going to get a rough ride from this commission. I think the judge laid it out. Where he said it's it's all very well to talk about whether the truckers said something on their Facebook page that was rude, whether they hurt someone's feelings, whether you didn't appreciate the double parking or the breach of the noise bylaw. That's not the test here. The test is, does Cabinet have justification? The onus is on Cabinet. Uh, uh, this is absolutely clear. So they're going through now in the early innings of the commission. People are talking about their feelings. That's all very fine and well. That's not the question. The onus is on cabinet. The cabinet's weakest argument, but one they use often, was economic harm. And I, and I do you know who uh, really appreciates with horror the implication of that? It's not just the truckers and you know uh, uh, opposition members. My trade union friends hear that, and they say, "Wow." If you normalize this, that means every time there's a First Nations protest on the Via Rail line, every time there's a strike at the mill, every time Greenpeace shuts down a pipeline, you can have a future cabinet invoke the Emergencies Act on the basis of economic harm. It's horrifying, but that's what cabinet did. I think they'll pay. Yeah. A couple of things I want to talk to you about that don't have to do with the Emergencies Act, Tom, but let me just mention two cabinet ministers' names because you have posted about both of them. One is Christopher Freeland, the other is Marco Mendicino. Please. Uh, Minister Freeland, uh, in justifying this extraordinary bank freeze against political protesters, had pointed to very dramatic economic losses. A third of a billion dollars a day. That's, that's money. And was asked often, many times, including testimony in parliamentary committee, what, what, what were the figures? What did this protest actually cost us? Oh, I have figures in my head, she said, quote, unquote. We see the, uh, the footnote for the figure of a third of a billion dollars a day was a transport department internal memo that said that is the worst case scenario involving a national shutdown of uh, factories, mines, and mills uh, due to prolonged closure of uh, major border crossings like the Windsor-Detroit Ambassador Bridge, which, by the way, never happened. That was There, there was no ripple effect of that. That ended in uh, six days, and the Transport Department estimated actual losses at the Ambassador Bridge closure were only about $45 million a day because, guess what, shippers found there were other bridges they could cross into America, Queenston, Fort Erie, Sardi, Ontario. Cabinet made it up. Different problem for Minister Mendicino, public safety minister. There's records that suggest he backdated documents to help fool a federal judge, mislead a federal judge in an ordinary commercial dispute, a trademark dispute with a plaintiff in federal court. And there are numerous, we see, access to information records suggesting that it was important to Crown lawyers and the minister at the time of immigration, Mendicino, that a certain act of Parliament, the Colleges Act, be proclaimed in force. Problem, it wasn't. So they made it up. And Mendicino issued a fake news release. This is the definition of fake news. He issued a fake news release saying that act is in force. And Privy Council Office put up a fake website notice saying the act was in force. The whole 
purpose of that was to mislead a federal judge. So we're starting to get to the bottom of the barrel when cabinet talks about misinformation and truth. It starts to get really complicated, Roy. Yes, it does. So I can't let you go without really talking about the RCMP tip sheet for Commissioner Lucky when testifying at the committee. Smile and pause. <laughs> Avoid acronyms. And beware of MPs' tricks. And they do. They have tricks. They will, they will ask rapid-fire questions, wrote staff. Be prepared for that. If they start uh, shouting back and forth, if it starts getting a little hot, be completely neutral, including your facial appearance. Always be, I'm quoting, polite, respectful, use neutral tone of voice. Keep your answers brief and factual. Well, that last part, that, that, that's an argument. Use plain language. Avoid acronyms. It went on and on, Roy, for five pages. You say, what could you possibly cover? How difficult could it be? But there, there we are. That's the RCMP in 2022. Five-page tip sheet, not on how to catch industrial espionage or saboteurs, not on countering terror financing, a five-page tip sheet on how to answer your MP's questions in parliamentary committee. For the commissioner of the RCMP, who yes. should be able to handle this sort of thing uh, you without five pages of tips. That's right. Yeah. You do not. Uh, uh, the, the, that's a political job, right? She's, she's a politician. Nice outfit, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice blue and white outfit. Um she should have been in uniform. That, that's the first thing. So uh, this story, Air Canada couldn't count to 10. Small claims court judge rules in ordering the airline to pay $775 for garbling arithmetic at a BC couple's expense. We're not happy until you're unhappy. <laughs> Air Canada. Everyone's got an Air Canada story. Oh, yeah. One. Oh, yeah. couple in Vancouver uh, flying home from Los Angeles. Mrs. had tested positive for COVID, fully vaccinated, no symptoms. Ten days before, arrive at the, at the uh, Wicket. Air Canada agents declined boarding, refused boarding, because they miscounted the days. They counted, they say, no, you have to fly tomorrow. Uh, hilariously, the uh, uh, mister of the couple, uh, unfortunately for the airline, a retired lawyer, Said he actually drew a diagram <laughs> with his staff of how to you know, arithmetic of how to count calendar days. <laughs> Didn't he, he got seven hundred seventy-five dollars in damages? Right, Rome wasn't built in a day. So many years ago, I wrote a uh, or participated in the writing of a spoof commercial for Air Canada. It never got outside the radio station studio. In only this little part of it will now. And it ended with these words, yes, tomorrow, when you get up at the crack of noon, stay where you are, let Air Canada go. <laughs> I flew through Pearson <laughs> last summer. Yeah. Honestly, it was, it was like flying through Zaire. It was, it, was, it was just dreadful. I understand that was at the heyday when they were only a third of flights were on time. 
Yeah, every, everyone. Well, 38 million Canadians. Literally everyone has an Air Canada story. Yeah, we do. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.